0: Welcome to a new episode of Parole. I am your host, Alexandra Yamoyaboui. My guest is Safi Valandeleka, and I can tell you she will bring a smile on your face. She is a passionate leader who wants to see a positive change in people's lives that it becomes infectious. Here is a woman who is much more than her job presents and is still striving for the best in her life. By the end, she even talks about Beyonce because, of course, Beyoncé. But all is available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts on Android. Listen, subscribe, follow, and enjoy. Hey, hello there. Who are you? How are you, first?
1: I'm good. How are you, Alexandra?
0: I'm doing fine. Doing fine here in Léon. Uh, chilling, but uh, I think, like, South Africa is much better.
1: Yes, it's getting warmer. We are getting into our summer. It's been raining this last couple of days, but it's getting warmer. So I'm not going to complain about the weather. It's actually (laughs) very nice now. Here you go. So who are you then? Okay. So I'm Steffi Varandere Kanineza, a Uh Burundian, uh, who lives in Johannesburg. South Africa. I've been living in SA for the last five years. Um, I am a chartered accountant by training although I don't like to define myself more by my <laughs> professional Good for uh, you. you know my professional career uh, because I think there's so much more to me than the accounting and finance background Mm. Um, but what else can I say I I used to live in Canada that's actually where I qualified as a chartered accountant so uh, Canada is where I started my career I started I, I did about five years of career in Canada but before that I had spent seven years studying Living in Montreal and then started my career, did five years in audit, mm-hmm. uh, mostly internal audit experience. But I always had a dream to go back home, home being Burundi, like yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when I, I saw an opportunity in 2014, the uh, Deloitte was opening uh, an office in Burundi. So Ooh. Burundi okay. was the last location I guess in East Africa so they had been based in Uganda, Kenya, Tanzania Mm -hmm. and had opened a couple of months prior to that in Rwanda and then decided to open an office in Burundi which was a a great opportunity for me to get back on the continent, Mm -hmm. applied, got the job so started with Deloitte uh, in Burundi in January 2015 Mm -hmm. But then, unfortunately, we all know what 2015 was for many Burundians. So at the same time, I had also received an opportunity to go to be trained at the Deloitte office in Johannesburg around the same time where all the protests started in Burundi.
0: Um,
1: So at that time, I I was on a three months training in Johannesburg and ended up never Mm, leaving. So All it right. was never planned. South okay. Africa was never planned, but it worked out well in terms of timing.
0: Okay. And
1: yeah, so I've been, I've been uh, working in, in, in SA since yeah, May 2015. I, I, currently, I currently work in the banking sector. Mm-hmm. Uh, I work for a big bank in, in, in Johannesburg um, in the corporate investment banking side. Uh, I, recently lived, um, left the, um, I recently left the finance and accounting w- uh, world, so mm-hmm. it's been nine months that I, I am in an operational role. In okay, nice. Yeah, so that's me, that's me.
0: That's interesting. Okay, for those who may think like, why do I know you, how do I know you, let's just put things a little bit in perspective. Stiffy was when, I think when we were like four or five, we We're like neighbors, right? Yes, exactly. Um, we went to the same school, like international school. Funny yes. thing, I don't know if you remember that. I didn't want to say this like last time. <laughs> I have this funny image when we started like, uh, I think, kindergarten, like troisième maternelle. Yeah. And your little sister, Leslie, if she's listening. Yes. She was yes. so crying and she didn't want to start with her own class and want to sit with you. And she sat between us. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs>
1: Surprised because in my family I'm known to be the crier. <laughs> Leslie is the tough, <laughs> tough skin. So I'm surprised that she was crying. I I'm, yeah. I'm known, and I think even in the neighborhood I was known when we were growing up together. <laughs> I was known to be the cry of the family. So surprising for Leslie, it probably ended at that age.
0: <laughs> it, was it was the last time we were seeing me. It was
1: the last time we we saw her crying because she doesn't cry very often.
0: I loved it because I remember I was like, damn, she did this with my sisters, not my little ones, but like yes. for what you know. So I did so when I grew up. But so yeah, so we managed to leave and then you moved, you went to the uh, Belgian school. So basically yes. your whole uh, let's say young life happened really in Burundi yeah uh, before we go into details about what you do um, can you tell us like your picture of you know since you we were born until you you lived I don't know your teenage years somehow in Burundi what was it like to kind of give a, a better picture instead of like talking about the craziness yeah
1: so uh, funny enough yes I did grow up in Burundi but in when I was six years old, which is when the civil war started in Burundi, I did do two years in Belgium in a in okay. a board in a boarding school in in Belgium. But then I came back at the age of eight uh, and stayed in Burundi from the age of eight until I was fifteen, mm-hmm. from eight to fifteen, uh, before moving to Canada. And honestly, I can only share good memories of Burundi or, or, mm. or specifically that period I think there's a level of I think it it, it makes me realize that we, uh, the level of privilege in which we were growing up in because mm. I don't think we were really yes we were conscious that we were growing up in the middle of a civil war right mm. but exactly. to a certain extent Uh, life could continue as usual or normal for us, right? Mm. I was a very active uh, teenager. I was um, like involved in a lot of activities, but one of my favorite and which is probably uh, where most of my memories come from was the years playing tennis Mm -hmm. uh, at Entente Sportive. That's where I made, yeah, exactly. That's where I made, uh, made a lot of friends. Mm. Uh, So playing tennis, swimming, uh, Mm. but also I was involved in a, in a, in a dance uh, group called Mm -hmm. Top Shaka. Toujours, yes. I I think for me, that's, (laughs) that's why I say, you know, I, I think about all of that. And then I realize especially now living in. Essay and mm-hmm. uh, may, maybe being exposed to people that are less privileged, that grew up in more difficult condition, where I I feel like we were sheltered a lot, you know, and we could yeah. grow up uh, grow up and enjoy, you know, our childhood, our teenagers. So I was very very active, and definitely I think on tante sportives where I met most of the friends that I even have now in adult okay. life, you okay. know. So. Uh, so Burundi that's why I I, I became obsessed with Burundi and all the good memories so even Mm. when I moved in Canada I used to i promise you the moment i could start working so i could afford a flight ticket to go to burundi (laughs) every holidays after i would finish with exam i would catch the first flight and spend two Mm. months in burundi so burundi only good memories only good things to say about our um, my my childhood but also you know the the teenage years particularly that's amazing All right Mm -hmm. so this will i think we'll explain a
0: little bit later what you do so yes you moved to um canada what happened there can you just give us because we were 15 as you said like what happened kind of was not a stress because you're you didn't Mm. go there with your parents i'm assuming when they're yes initially
1: yes 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 i went i actually left burundi uh, with my brother Mm Karl. Uh, so Carl was 17 at the time. I was 15, and we were sent to a boarding school in mm-hmm. Canada. Uh, and the boarding school was outside of Montreal, so it was between Montreal and Ottawa. It's a small uh, town called Rigo, so that's where we where we went um, to finish off high school, right? And I remember definitely there's that, that element of a cultural shock, right? Yeah. You you land in a majority white um, community. Rico mm-hmm. is a very very small town. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 upcountry type of vibe. There was nothing to do in that town, okay. right? Um, so and I think we were we were not many African students uh, in that school, so. I guess the, the first um, tendency is to, to click and connect with people that, li- that are like you, right? Yeah, so we, yeah. had, we had a small community of international students, um, okay. but, but the majority, of, there was also uh, one other Burundian in the school. Mm-hmm. Uh, but outside of the three of us, um, the majority of the other African international students were coming from West Africa. OK. Okay. Uh, Côte d'Ivoire, uh, Burkina Faso, Cameroon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we we created a. Click and really, I think it, it helped with the integration. Yeah. Um. And and I guess like everyone who goes in a country or in a in a in a city where they not used to see people that look like you that come from where you're from, <laughs> you always get those annoying questions. You know, what do you guys wear in Burundi? Do you guys have yeah. cars? We got all the typical <laughs> type of questions, right? You have water. Uh, That's what I like the best. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly, Rigaud was a small community where sheltered. Uh, again, there wasn't much happening in that small town outside of the the boarding school that we, yeah. uh, we, we that we attended. And what happened is we would go to the school Monday to Friday, and then we would go in a foster family. So the foster okay. family was based in the same town. Uh, it was a a, a Canadian a uh, man who was married to a Chinese lady, right, Whoa, and Okay. they specialized in just welcoming, you know, uh, international students in their house, so we were eight wow. international students living what? with them over the weekend, so we would arrive at their house on Friday and then uh, leave wow. on Sunday night, he would drive us back to the school uh, <laughs> in a was, super van yeah in know definitely a super van so again it was an interesting experience <laughs> sorry we were four african one little girl from haiti and uh three mexican yeah <laughs> okay. no sorry two so yeah, we were seven, not eight, sorry. Two Mexican, one girl yeah. from Haiti and and four African. So again, wow. interesting dynamic. That uh, is, yeah. my, my brother hated that experience because he felt that we were in a prison. Obviously, okay. you can tell the age difference. He's 17. Yeah. He's a young boy. He likes yeah. his freedom. He was used to, you know, going out, partying with their friends. There's yeah. nothing. There's yeah. no club there's no you cannot go to the movies so the closest movie theater was about 45 minutes away from the town so there's there's really nothing to do I loved it um I loved it because I'm a I love people. Again, I I, I think I, I love community. Not to say that Carl doesn't. He does, but again, <laughs> take that, Carl. <laughs> I think for Carl, it's all about freedom. He wanted hmm. his freedom, which he couldn't have. I just created friendship with people not only at the boarding school, but in our uh, you know oh. in our foster family, and uh, because Carl and I were the oldest of okay. of the of the international students that were staying in that family I became very responsible you know okay like we we had mandatory study time all of the things that you can believe like that are typical of a prison so I would be put in charge to make sure everyone is doing their homework things like that so I enjoyed it because (laughs) I enjoy school and things like that so I felt I felt important, you know. I, <laughs> thought, I wow. felt important. Like I was given, you know, real responsibilities. Um, and I enjoyed it. I mean, we just watched TV, played together outdoor, you know, swimming together. Mm. And then, but there wasn't much to do. So it helped me to adapt very quickly because I had I created a small family or a small clique, mm. you know. And um Even at school, I think what what helped me adapt is that I quickly signed up for activities, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that that's what has always kept me or helped me adapt in a new context. I just try and do an activity that other people do in that country. And I'll get to that when I tell you about moving to SA. But for example, in in Canada, in that boarding school, I joined the, uh, the cheerleading crew, right? Come on. And, and mind you, being a cheerleader in a sport, first, they, they used to play rugby. I don't understand okay. any rule of rugby. <laughs> I just knew we needed to scream at a certain point. We needed oh to my jump, goodness. <laughs> We needed to dance at a certain point. And that was, you know. After the cheerleading group, there was the hip hop crew. So I've always been like an okay. active person. Mm. So that's how I adapted. You know, it doesn't mean that it wasn't it, it was hard obviously the french uh, you, you, i'm sure you know that the french that they speak in oh, yeah. in canada it's not a Com- exactly they look Thank at you. us like we are the weird people meanwhile <laughs> we think they are weird so you have to adapt to all of that right you adapt <laughs> to the way they talk to the expressions and
0: yeah
1: yeah because the, the
0: classes were in french
1: yeah, yeah. So at that point, oh. I'm still studying in French. So Rigaud, it's, it's a French-speaking okay. town. It's, in, it's a small town in Quebec. So we spoke French. Yeah, so okay. I mean, it, it, it yeah, there's many things that helped me, you know, adapt very quickly. Mm. Um, I've also always been good at school. So, you know, when you're, when you're one of the smart people in class, people want to be friends with you. Mm-hmm. because they want to do, they want to do homework with you, they want to do project school, which is, you know, <laughs> so it helped, it helped, Network, uh, uh, being smart will get you places in life, true, you know, true. yeah, so that's, that's how I, I, I adapted very quickly, and as a matter of fact, the first year, I even received the prize of the and what what did they call it something about the international international student of the school that adapted the the, okay. the, you know, the yeah. quickest and the best in terms of the school life and everything wow. so really i got i i hit the ground running quickly but again because of that small crew of other Africans, uh, international students that mm. foster family, everything. So I think the, the context the, the environment was favorable to me to in order yeah. for me to adapt. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's interesting. So when you talk about community, let me just give you a bit of a background for me. When I arrived in France, it was in Lille. I was surrounded with friends, not like Berlin, yes. but like friends. Yes. F- friends I had known from like since I was 10 or whatever. I've been more and I arrived in a setting where that was so friendly and for three years I didn't need any French friend in a way you know what I mean but I spoke French
1: although Neil mm.
0: it has its own uh, way of speaking French it's fine really yeah they have an accent they have a, a shti it's a language it's a patois okay no 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 it's not Québécois, but it's not cute it's not cute at all <laughs> so you have to deal with the Parisian style and the belgian style on the one hand it's like mixing the both yes but at the end i understood something is that when you arrive in a safe place and you kind of know who you are it's easy to adapt i never i didn't never really like Lille, not because it, it was the weather because it was a shock but it's not like i disliked the people there they're amazing and fun so what happened to the others, because there is a bunch of Burundians who live in Canada, obviously, they live in Belgium, they live in France, and everywhere. They come and they stem among themselves.
1: Mm-hmm. You
0: had to push, you know, your parents put you, put you in a position where you couldn't adapt. Like, you had to integrate the Canadian system. What is the thing you could be telling them, maybe, and be like, you guys, you need to get out of your Burundian environment, which is cool because we need the culture, you need to speak the language, you need. You know, I I miss the food big time, you know. But you cannot evolve in Canadian society if you stay among Burundians. It's just what it is, you know? Tell me, because you're Canadian, I can just say,
1: say whatever. You're spot on because I think for me, it happened, like you just said, naturally, again, the environment in which we were did not allow us to hang out with Burundians, right? (laughs) And for me... It was for that two years that I was in that boarding school. So then the effect of that means that even when I moved to Montreal, right, Mm -hmm. which is where there there was a lot of Burundians and I had friends, Burundian friends that were in Montreal, I was then able to always balance my friendships uh, in the Burundian community with Mm -hmm. my local Uh, Canadians and other, you know, international students coming from other parts of the world, right? And to your point, I always, always encourage everyone who moves into a new country, try and make local friends because Absolutely. what are you going to learn about the country if you only hang out with people that came from the same place as you did you yeah. know and even in terms of networking and etc so I think for me it, it it's not a conscious decision that I made when I when I moved to to Canada because of the setting, you know, the boarding school, everything helped me, but then it paved, like it paved the way for how I would approach everything after the two years in Rigo, you know, and it would even dictate how I integrated in essay, you know, and we'll speak Mm -hmm. about that. I think it's important for me to share my experience in South Africa because I, had I not made an effort and a conscious decision to make local South African friends I, I wouldn't be in this country anymore I wouldn't Interesting. It would, yes so I think for me it's always been my motto you need what are you going to learn about the country if you don't make an effort to get mm. to know their, cu- know their culture know their language you know I have an objective to learn Zulu now and um, I, I wow. need to leave essay whenever we leave this country because obviously the the dream is always to go back to Burundi. But by the time I leave this country, I will be speaking Zulu. It's important for ah, me. Okay. Yeah, The same way, you know, I lived in Canada, I learned Quebecois, I learned English. Remember, because I was coming from Burundi, where we speak <sighs> the Belgian, yeah. French, um, and then Kirundi, then I learned the languages that, you know, in Canada, mm. so I have to do the same wherever I live, especially if it's, a, I'm not saying if you live in a country for one year, it might be too difficult, yeah, you know, of course, yeah. to, to learn the, a, a local language, etc. But you can still make local friends you know uh mm-hmm. I, I i think i listened to your interview with dedo and you you guys also spoke about the importance of networking absolutely. right and for me net the, uh, getting to know people local people wherever you live for me it's part it's a huge part of building your network
0: absolutely so how is it like how did you manage for like for me i'm thinking about the the young Steffi who's like okay mm-hmm. i'm gonna go to uni and then I'm gonna do this and this and that, right? You're surrounded with Canadians. Let's just say at this point, you're kind of Canadian, you, know? mm-hmm. you understand the environment, you, you, you sense things differently. Were you in a position where you could be like advising other people and be like, mm, actually my Burundian friend, it's not really how it works here. Let's just, you know what I mean? I,
1: I think it came at, at a later stage uh maybe I was a little bit too caught up in school so I've okay. always and I'll and maybe let me unpack my statement what I mean is when I was in Canada so after leaving Rigo and graduating from high school um in Quebec we in Quebec we do uh two years before you go to university two 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 years of prep it's college right okay and it's called CEGEP. Right. And in CEGEP, I did um, a program, an international baccalaureate. So it was a very difficult program. And again, I think in, in those two years, yes, I had my Burundian friends that I knew from Burundi. Right. But I invested a lot of time in because I was just trying to survive and, uh, and, and, and graduate and perform well in that, in the, uh, we call it IB, you know, international Mm -hmm. backup, just surviving the IB. I then became close friends with people that were doing the IB with me, but, and there was no Burundian. Okay. Um, And not only there was no Burundian, but we were two black girls. I mean, me and, and, and a girl from Haiti. So, I don't think I, I was in a position to advise people because I, I I have a tendency to be when I do something I give hundred and fifty percent. So okay. those two years I was like survival mode. Full on. Okay. Let me do the IB. Okay. So I don't think I was necessarily a good friend in terms of advising them about that. My involvement and in trying to you know advise other young Burundian came when I started working, when okay. I started my professional care. So that's after CEGEP. After CEGEP, I went to McGill to do a bachelor degree in accounting. Mm-hmm. And again, McGill is known to be one of the top university in Canada. So we yeah. were, once again, I was very caught up in my world. But what was good about McGill is some of my girlfriends from Burundi were also going to McGill. Okay. So right. that's where... I guess the burundian connection came but outside of those friends that I had that we went to the same campus et etc I was again too caught up in in that in that world I would I would think where I started advising and interacting more you know with younger burundians that had recently arrived in burundi yeah. my last year in canada in 2014 we had started uh, a young a burundian young professional uh, group you know mm-hmm. and we were hosting events networking events we, uh, but it was just at the beginning of that um okay. and uh yeah I I have good memories of that and what I my or, or the dream that I had of that you know um association because I think it was important for us to start giving back being some of the Burundians that were given good opportunities. We had gone to good school, gotten a a good job. So I think you start bringing in more and more people of your community and telling them the importance to network, the importance to put yourself out there and not necessarily cling in. So I don't think I did it as much as I wanted, but, um, I did what I could, I guess. In, in especially yeah. in my in my last year, 2014. Yeah, you had to leave. That's, yeah. yes, 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 yes.
0: All right. So then you moved to South Africa. South Africa is another community we think we know because we're Africans. But honestly, after having read the uh, the Trevor Noah book and I had listened to the you know the jokes and the, uh, the the sketches before, you kind of think like we're all the same because we've been colonized and and but man, it is so different. Like it is. Like sometimes I want to understand, and I'm like, it's so scary. Just leave it there, Alex. You live there. You didn't. You were not born under the apartheid. What was the first like, first shock? Because we talk about the Canadian shock, the French shock, you know. Yes. But it's fine because yeah. we kind of knew what it was. But you just arrived there. You're like.
1: Yes. So, um. My experience in SA, I always call it a hate-love relationship with this country. <laughs> and like any relationship, a relationship evolves over time. So I'm going to tell you the evolution of Steffi <laughs> uh, since 2015. So it's been five years that I've okay. been in this country. And I would like to say my my, my approach and my vision of this country has completely shifted. So when I arrived again, it wasn't, I, I didn't think it would be long-term. Yeah. I came to SA, it was supposed to be a three months um, training or internship yeah. period in the Deloitte South Africa office. First shock that I got Alexandra, was my first day at Deloitte in SA. I remember walking on the floor And looking around me and being like, why is there so many, why are all the offices, the corner offices, you know, in the corporate consulting world, everyone who gets offices by the window, right, uh, are big people, important people, right? And then middle managers, junior people, we always sit in the middle in (laughs) open spaces, right? So I start looking around and I'm like, "Why are all the partners white people or Indians?" That's the first shock that oh. I got because I'm like, "But I'm um, I'm in Africa. What's happening, guys? What's that?" <laughs> so you know, you, you start observing and you're very confused, right? And the second shock was the fact that when I arrived in the office, I. I easily spent two, almost three weeks, not being put on a, not being put on a, on an assignment. I was sitting in the office, not necessarily doing anything. Mm-hmm. And every single time they would introduce me, they're like, "Oh, this is the girl from Burundi. You know, um, she comes from the Detroit Burundi office. She's here to learn about accounting and finance advisory." Yeah. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And you're sitting there and you're wondering, okay, but when am I going to get a chance to do <laughs> a client? Because the whole goal is for me to learn. I'm living in three months, you know? When are they putting me on, a, on, on, on an assignment? And then one day I receive an email from someone and in their signature, they had put their, their professional accreditations, Right. So mm-hmm. they would put their name, Mr. X, Y, Z, comma, uh, CA, South mm-hmm. Africa, right? Huh. So I was like, okay, I haven't put anything. So let me add the fact that I'm a qualified CA, but <laughs> from Canada, right? So I added Steffi de Kanineza, comma, CA, in bracket, Canada, you send an email to a few people and then you, you start getting people walking to your desk and saying, but I thought you were from the Deloitte Burundi office. Uh, where where is the, What's the connection with Canada? How did you qualify as a private accountant in Canada? And I'm like, oh, but I actually spent 12 years in Canada. I actually have only worked five months in Burundi from January 2015 to May 2015. Alex, I promise you, the attitude and the approach and the way they looked at me changed from that day on when people started realizing I had an education from a Western country. So I'm just going through the layers for you to understand the dynamics of this country. Can I tell you that from that day, a couple of days later on, I got charted to my first client and was at finally given a chance to prove what I could do. And I've never sat in the office after that day. I went from one client to another, to another, to another, you know? So just to tell you the psychology of, and, and all these things, I'm starting to understand them now that I've spent so many years to say, Oh my God, it was making sense because yes, there's the dynamics. There's the whole racial dynamic in Mm -hmm. South Africa. And but they also the dynamic that South Africans, I used to feel like they South Africans see themselves at, at a certain level and then there's the rest of Africa. Mm-hmm. So any African coming from any other parts of this continent, you're almost seen as inferior in a way, okay. you know. Okay. Um, but I think as I'm, I'm, and the reason why I'm saying there's been a growth process, you know, I'm starting to understand that it, it it's just, a, a, it's it's a nature of self-hate, you know, you see someone who looks like you as another Black person, and because of the legacy, um, you know, other parts of the continent, the legacy is colonialism, here there's been apartheid, mm-hmm. you know, which leads to Black people seeing themselves as inferior. So you come, you come, you, you come from being the oppressed to become the oppressor. That's how I see it in this country. That's why we hear we hear all these um, cases of xenophobia, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a lack of it's self-hate, but also an element of scarcity, you know, when you've lacked so much in your life when someone else comes in the picture, you think they're coming to take away from you, you know? So then you start fighting that p- person. So scarcity mentality and definitely an element of self-hate as Black people. So what helped me navigate, because I will tell you the, and, and what I've realized is maybe in, ca- in Canada, mm-hmm. I had faced racism, but it was subtle you Mm. know it it was subtle so you know those microaggressions that you don't realize they're happening to you Mm. whereas Mm. I think in essay it happens in your face so
0: (laughs) like we're not hiding it no no no
1: no. we're not hiding it and we want you need to know we see you different you know you're different you you are not you're not a friend in uh, here so and I I went through it was di- it was a difficult period because, I, I, I made white friends in in Deloitte uh, when mm-hmm. I, because the moment people start and they would only talk about my Canadian experience for them I'm not Burundian at that point you're Steffi you're that girl that has. Evolved in Canada and who's been exposed, you know. So, because when I was living in Canada and I started working, I had traveled a lot, you know. I have the mm. so, so then they're starting to talk to you, and then they realize, oh, mm. you've, you've done road trips in the US, you've been to mm. Europe, you've been, and then the white South African can, can identify to you, right? Where? Where? On the other side, you as a person you see other black people so you're attracted to them because mm-hmm. they look like you so i want to be friend with the black south africans right some did warm, warm up the, the ones that gives you that the, they gives you a chance you know and i think that's the, that's the beauty of also trying to to be open minded because if you if you allow yourself to let them get to know you you mm-hmm. know then you can create real friendships, but it doesn't happen automatically because you. you it, it, from that moment on, I went from being the African to being the, the black girl who had grown up in a privileged world, you know? <laughs> so they see you more, you know, they see that the white people in the office can always, and they always wanna hang out with you, you know? So it was a very uh, difficult mm-hmm. dynamic to navigate. But what the pivotal moment for me in my experience in SA was me deciding to study locally, right? Okay. I decided to pursue an MBA in South Africa because I kept telling myself, you know what? I'm, I'm starting to realize the shortfalls of my Western education mm-hmm. because most of the examples in the classroom, anything we had done, when I was in Canada is either based on a European or North American context. Right. Mm. But then you realize you really like this continent and you want to grow here. So then I started saying, you know what, I need something that's going to be relevant for me locally, you know? So I signed up to do the MBA and I promise you, Alex, that's what changed everything for me because the dynamics of this country the so you, in the professional world some of it was microaggression they try to be polite they try to be you know subtle and mm. then you get to school and they're not subtle white and black people will fight each other the division will be so clear we had so many cases in my class and then you I'm stuck in the middle you know Because you're like, where do I fit? Sometimes my black friends in the MBA. So most of my friends were initially black, you know, in the program. And um, again, I think to the point that I made earlier, sometimes being smart helps you because people then want to be, they're happy to make you a study partner, Mm. you know? Uh, so and the mba we were doing it part-time because we're all professionals we're all working full-time we meet in the evenings so it's long hours on campus in in the evening we don't see our families etc etc so we start bonding and i think um it helped me because you know people are like okay let's we can include you in our study group you start studying then they see okay This girl actually knows what she's talking about. She's disciplined, Mm. whatever, whatever. But then I started realizing later on in the process that yes, they are my friends, but they still think of me as different. And I would realize later on, oh, they have a separate WhatsApp group that they, for black people.
0: And then you're not
1: part of the WhatsApp group. As far as you know, (laughs) you're black you're black and then you're like but did they meet like just the south african black or just like yes that's exactly what they meant and they would create uh they they called it a real conversation also where they would talk about the real stuff you know and i had i had moments of uh especially the ones that i would be close enough to you know Mm -hmm. i would be like guys what's happened like what is wrong you know and and then they would tell me the moments they felt like i was oblivious to what they were going through and um uh, uh, one burn one example that comes to my mind was one time we were sitting in class doing an, a, a case study on a discussion on uber you okay. know yeah. and the 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 lecturer started giving the example of uber and asking us guys why do you think that taxi taxi drivers are fighting uber right why do they not want uber in this country competition had competition has always existed Mm -hmm. what is wrong he did Mm -hmm. it on purpose just That's what an MBA is about, you know, you trigger discussions, you know, you want people to debate. And then there's there's this uh, girl in our class, she's white, South African, she raises her hand and she says, you know what, I think taxi drivers are fighting them because most of them cannot become Uber drivers uh, because in order to be an Uber driver, you need to prove that you don't have any criminal case." Oh, Okay, Alex, remember me, I'm sitting in class and again, I think my, (laughs) I live in a bubble. I live in a bubble because I, in the moment I didn't see, it didn't click. Oh, Do you know that that day in one of the group, one of the, before I got excluded from (laughs) the group, I, I had groups with friends that are black South African. That night, the group was on fire. I mean, they yeah. Were, they were so angry. What do you mean? Do you, do you, does that mean that you think that all black people, all black people have, Ill Ill Ill. Yes, have criminal cases that are criminals? Uh, guys, they debated on it so much. And I was like, but guys, why did no one raise? But why did you, if you didn't feel comfortable raising your hand in class to challenge her, yeah. why did you not take her? Like we used to have coffee breaks right okay yeah. why did you not approach her during the coffee break and challenge her because unless you challenge her she'll never, she'll know, never know that yeah, what she, she said is is wrong alex i think that's the that was the I whole point included. of the discussion that's the this if you got excluded from everything they like but this girl lives in a about what do you mean challenging them nah, 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 nah. they wouldn't understand um, <laughs> and i think i would come home so torn and i would have discussions with my husband and and i think that's the moment where uh the penny dropped for me in in that moment to say okay there's a level of oppression and um not oppression sorry that's not the word that i'm looking for they they are there's a level of brokenness you Mm. know that is a result of so many years of being oppressed that it's normal for them to get triggered by that. It, 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 they should be triggered by that, you know. But again, me coming from a place a place of privilege, and that's where I might bring the whole ethnicity in Burundi. I come mm-hmm. from an, an ethnic group that was the privilege. So we are almost the white people in the picture, if you think about it, mm-hmm. you know. We were also oppressing, to a certain extent, another ethnic group. So you, you you then start realizing that there's a there's a level of an understanding of hurt and brokenness that you that is difficult for you to relate to and you need to be comfortable with people feeling hurt by comments like that you know and not being ready to challenge those mentality so the MBA helped me so much <laughs> again it was it was worth the penny man it was because now every time I feel like I'm being, uh, you know, excluded or someone says a comment to hurt me. And then I, I start thinking about the hoax and thing. Mm-hmm. I need to. I, I, I remind myself that if you pause a second and try and understand it from their perspective, Mm. you know? It's been a long journey because we're human beings. So when someone says something, it hurts you, you wanna fight it back. That's why I call it a hate-love relationship. (laughs) That's that's South Africa for you. So uh, the MBA helped me a lot. And again, to the discussion earlier about making local friends, had I not been in that environment, I would probably be hanging out mostly with Burundians that live in South <laughs> Africa but I said no 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 you know the expat it's... community like yeah I, yeah, said, yeah. I cannot I should... do that no I cannot it's... do that and it helped wow. it paid off it paid off because I'm starting to love the country despite you know those mm. ag- microaggressions that come here and there <laughs> You you remind yourself, you know. I oh, I have South African friends, and they open up now. They, I feel like I've built some sincere relationship of people that are able to tell me what their journey is to be young and black in South Africa. Mm. You know.
0: Can I can I ask something then? As uh, what I like to say, as a privileged person who never was born into that, although we're part of a certain tribe, I never. Let me just <laughs> clarify this out online but I understand that people can get triggered and you know uh, I think for me when you say the brokenness that's in there in the Afri- South mm-hmm. African history uh you can find it in any country it's, it's, mm. you know? and I remember um years back when I was with Andrea we were riding mm-hmm. the subway in Lille mining yeah. minding our own business we're two in a and then there's a dude who's really like messed up he was they just say Arab but drunk and really messed up, messed up. And then he's leaving the the tram, the, the metro, and he's, you know, he gave us, uh, I hate black people, like in French, with the whole beauty of the French. I remember I was like, oh man, you're like, it's pathetic because you're not only are you drunk because it doesn't matter if you're, if, if it is in your heart and you want to bother us by saying out loud, but at that moment I realized like, my goodness and I laughed for like an hour Andrea didn't have it she was so angry it was like no Mm. and all French people came along to help I was like no because we heard so many stories as students there were so many crazy stories of people being mistreated you know yes is there any advice from your community your South African community of like "I, I may not understand what you're going for, you've been through, but you will never understand what '93 um, means for me or 2015 means for Burundi. But mm. is there a position where you can say, "Can we just thrive now?" We understand that, you know, if you think that every black people has a mental in- is illness is inless or like racist or like dumb or I don't know or or rapist, it's like it's your problem because the reality is not the case, you know. Is there any impo- like? from that, your position of just being like, I'm an outsider, but it's helpful to be an outsider as well.
1: So I'll tell you, I think a lot of it, even though it comes from that place, when you, you're the oppressed become the oppressor. So we've discussed about how sometimes it comes from a place of brokenness, but also it also comes from a place of ignorance, right? Ignorance of thinking the other is different or whatever. And the advice would be, I, I, I think definitely about, you know, getting to n- make an effort to get to know people that are different from you. And it comes from people coming from somewhere you're not from or people that are a different color, a race than you. And it, that's when I think um, you can, open yourself to discovering other learning yeah. about other and you know bridging that gap and moving away from that ignorance uh I'll give you an example so when I graduated from the MBA with some of the girls that I I I, uh, I did the MBA with we started a book club right okay. it's an all women book club and uh even though initially we weren't all black, by now some people dropped out of the book club, whatever, were majority black girls, right? Black African women. And we deci- we made a conscious decision to focus on l- reading African literature, right? recently mm-hmm. so every month each one of us gets an opportunity to put pick a book you know okay and yeah. then obviously yeah. i started realizing okay we're reading a lot of books from southern africa we're reading a lot of books from nigerian mm-hmm. uh, writers mm-hmm. um so so then i said i need to bring them something that is close to my home right and i made them read a book by a uh, Rand uh randy's uh author and um she speaks about her experience uh, f- um, during the genocide and then fleeing you know away from Rwanda and going in different you know seeking refuge in yeah. many yeah. African countries before she landed in the U.S. right and she she talks about her way how they they walked from one country to another all the way to essay. You know what made me happy was when we were discussing with the book club for the woman to say, you know what, Steffi, if more South Africans could read books, right? More, If more of us could read books such as this book, we don't think there would be as many xenophobia as there is in this country. Because then people would realize that we all are suffering some we are all fighting about they would then realize you know what all these african refugees that come to seek refuge in south africa because it is one of the most developed country on this Mm -hmm. continent right these people are fleeing something they are fleeing they they are whether it's poverty whether it's you know war-torn countries whatever they you know whatever they flee but you would and start understanding that they have also suffered as much as we've suffered as black people in this country. And I promise you, I was so happy. I think that day I slept so well because I'm like, this is what we are achieving. We are all mm. educating ourselves. And me too, it goes both ways, right? Sure. I've also gotten to understand the context through reading books sure. from Southern Africa, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and understanding a context about people growing up during apartheid and things that I would have never been exposed to, right? So Mm -hmm. really, when we oppress and discriminate each other, it comes from a place of ignorance. I wish yeah. we could all say, guys, let's educate each other. Really? Right? That's, let's that's... teach each other about our history. Let me tell you what yeah. I know about Burundi. Tell me what you know about yeah. South Africa, about Zimbabwe, about Zambia, et cetera, et cetera, If we come from a place of knowledge sharing, yeah. telling stories, we would we wouldn't have the issues we have across the world.
0: And I think that I had the interest, the knowledge of the, the need of to, to want to know. It's, I mean, it's a commodity. Huh? It's not everybody who is willing to do the work. And it's scary. Mm-hmm. For me, it's just scary to be like, because when you live in France, I always joke, like, being um, Black is not the worst part. It's like being a home or being Jewish. It's like mm. those two, every two mm-hmm. years you hear things, you're like, of course, it's either a home, like a home being in France, I'm like, it's the worst. Thing because of the way they treated the, the, the jokes and everything, and it's like, do you know they're being mistreated? Like, every French person is like, bah, bah. It's like, no. Mm. So, if let's just start there, like, do you understand why they're migrating here for Poland? Mm-hmm. So, if we just stop thinking like, oh, it's a black and white problem, it's a you know, brown skin, and uh, like, because at the end of the day, we end up like with so many criticism about and. Light skin, I'm like, what? We've reached a point where I'm hearing a lot of things. Where I'm like, okay. Anyway, so I want to jump on the
1: education, education, education is not in a classroom only, right? Oh, no, 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 beyond exactly so we know now we can educate each other through other mediums right so you don't need to be in the in a classroom we afford technology affords us about being able to learn from different places while you sit wherever you're sitting you're in france that's i'm that's in that's south africa you you tomorrow you could decide to know south africa inside out and learn yeah. it from where you are Absolutely. in europe Absolutely. you know yeah. so technology affords us that that privilege of being able to educate. so education guys let's free our minds because <laughs> this is where yeah no the, and, but i agree with you it requires you need to be willing to do the work yeah
0: yeah people doing say the like- work it's it's take time but
1: yeah it's Mm -hmm. it's
0: uh, less harmful to be ignorant Mm -hmm. Uh, the other thing i want to talk about is your work with the young girls obviously really i think it's education then it's like uh mentoring but like you know
1: knowledge sharing yeah in a healthier
0: environment i guess
1: Yes. tell us about that so I think that's why in the beginning when I was introducing myself, I said, I don't like my career defining me because there's so many other passions. Uh-huh. There's so many things that I do outside of work that I feel define me as a person more. Mentoring young girls is one of them. So I'm very yeah. passionate about it. So uh, Let me my just dreams- say this.
0: The moment yes. I say mentoring, you like, you start smiling, like...
1: I wish I could get paid to do this. I would quit my job, Alex. I promise you I would quit Next my year, job. Next year, do
0: that. I, that I, love it.
1: I love it so much. So my journey started um, almost two years ago. So yeah, a year and a half to two years ago, when one of my mentor actually, right approached me and said there's this global mentorship program called girls for girls right Mm -hmm. it's a mentorship program that had started in harvard uh, in 2016 where a group of women that they were pursuing their master in public administration right they meet at harvard they um they're doing their master and i think it was around the time where hillary clinton was running right? Okay. And Harvard was very involved in the campaign. So these ladies were involved in Hillary Clinton's campaign, right? Then Hillary loses the, 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 the election, which was yeah. quite dramatic for them. Then they graduated, like it was a big loss. And th- at the time, they were preparing themselves from finishing the program and returning in whichever country they came okay. from, right? But through discussions, they then all realized that they all had one thing in common. In all the countries where they were coming from, they all there was a lack of female leadership, right? In the public in, in the public sphere, you know. Uh, in the public sector, they, they could not identify many women in their country. You know, they were there was a woman from Malaysia, one from Iceland, one from Uganda one from the U.S., Southern America. They were wow. coming from all over the world in that program. So they then decided to create that program, Girls for Girls, which has a mission to, what we say is our mission is we want to empower girls to lead, right? Okay. So they all went back home with that objective. In that group was only one African. Um, she, her name is Alan, and she comes from Uganda. Okay. Okay. So she went and started Girls for Girls in Uganda. It, it, it then grew to Kenya, you know. And one of her childhood friends uh, is uh, originally from Uganda, but she lives in the, she lives in South Africa. She's married to a South African man. She's the one who's my mentor. So oh, okay. Allen approached her and said, Rita, let's start Girls for Girls in the, the, the South African chapter. So Rita was then looking for people to start the program with her oh, and really. I joined. Best decision I've ever <laughs> taken. Awesome. Let me tell you, I'm so, I love it. So we do, the mentorship program is, uh, we, we teach them six modules, right? Mm-hmm. And it's one module per month. So before the pandemic, we used to meet once a month, right? We would deliver the program at different schools, Right. Uh, We started with the University of Johannesburg and then we expanded in other high schools in this country. So then we go to that high school and we give the module once a month and then we meet them for six months. Right, One module every month Mm -hmm. for a duration of six months and we teach them about different things, courageous leadership, uh, the art of communication, yeah. you know, teaching them to negotiate. And even though the program started with wanting to have more women in the public sphere, you know, running for office in governments, yeah. and we then realized that we need more w- women leader in all spheres of this life. In sure. the private sector, you want them to lead in their church, in their school, mm. in their family. So we really encourage that. We, 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 you know, we are an inclusive program in the sense that we don't only cater for girls that want to become, you know, the next president, the next minister. Mm. It goes beyond that. Yes, we need mm. that because yeah. unless you have people that are going to go and change the laws in in the different countries, we're not going to to solve our issues, right? So it's my journey started like that. I was initially just a mentor, but then because of the passion and seeing how really we're transforming the lives of the, these young girls, I decided to be more involved and then became a coordinator. So okay. I'm, one the, I'm one of the coordinator, but also at the same time a mentor for the Girls for Girls uh, South Africa. But and then like are the ages any, of the, the girls. Uh so we the program is for uh, 15 years old all okay. the way to 35. But whoa, okay. In in essay we've mainly focused on younger ones, so I would say we've done seven let's say 16 years old until they are about 23. Okay. All right. but i'll tell you that apparently in Uganda they've recently started a, a cohort that is for women that are above 40.
0: nice but yeah of course yes it's needed
1: so so that's why I'm I'm trying to tell you that the age it will it's really oh wow and that that's the beauty one one other thing that I want to share about girls for girls that's been quite exciting even though 2020 came with with challenges with the pandemic right Mm -hmm. remember I said that we used to be a face-to-face mentoring program so we would meet them at their schools and maybe also what I forgot to say is that it's not a one-on-one mentoring they don't pair one mentor with one mentee right okay it's, we do what we we call community we the concept of a village the african village of okay. growing together so we we divide the goals in smaller groups right of let's say 10 girls and then you put two mentors in that group okay and and what we believe in is the power of while sharing our stories between mentors and mentee we teach each other. Mm. So it's I, I don't get allocated one specific mentee to okay. look after All right, right? It's, it's the concept of the village. So even though we break them into smaller circles of 10 mentee, there's moments where the whole group comes back together mm. and then we are in a room with 40, 50 mentees, then we invite guest speakers, Because we believe in the power of learning through sharing our individual stories. Of course, yeah. So recently I had Katie Nivdabandi that we all know in the Burundi. I saw I saw
0: the status. So I was
1: like, yes, Yes. because I wanted her
0: on my podcast. Yes.
1: So so Katie was one of the speakers, and then we also have Ariel, who's another young Burundian doing amazing things in in Canada. Ariel was the first (gasps) black woman to be elected city councillor in in London so that's that's what we do in girls for girls so we teach them through inviting guest speakers that Mm. share their personal stories and they share the story that is relevant to the module that we are teaching in that moment right um so uh, what I was saying about COVID-19 and the pandemic is then we couldn't meet face to face yeah. So we had to adjust like everyone else. So we had to start going uh, and delivering the sessions on Zoom, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's challenges that come with that because some of the girls that we are mentoring in South Africa come from very unprivileged backgrounds, right? Mm-hmm. Some of them don't have a smartphone. They don't have a computer. So some mm-hmm. programs had to be put on pause, yeah. right? Right the ones that we could help and provide, you know, data and so that they can put data and then they can join Zoom via their phone, then we did it. The okay. ones that couldn't, we had to stop and we will resume the program in 2021. But okay. what happened is then we started collaborating a lot more with con- other countries.
0: Nice. Yeah.
1: So, so Always then all of sudden you have, Girls for Girls Uganda collaborating with mm. Girls for Girls South Africa so the collaboration grew across countries and we've recently graduated girls that were our first diaspora cohort so these were girls of african descent that okay. are currently studying in various countries around the world so uh, in on. europe in, in 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 the us in canada in other parts of Africa, and they would meet wow. being all, from all over the go- a globe, 22 girls graduated. And for me, that is the best excitement of this <laughs> year because I... had it not been for COVID, we wouldn't have realized yeah. we could we could also bring other girls that are in mm. other countries where, like for example, we don't have goals for girls in Canada yet, right? Okay, but okay. Through this diaspora cohort, I could bring all of my younger sisters, their friends, and we mentored them, you know, while sitting in SA, while another mentor was sitting in Australia, another one in the US, another one in Uganda, we mentored those girls. It was amazing. I love it. I love it.
0: Man, so what? what's the vision then? Because the, for, for me, like leadership, it's not to say that it's taught or it's lived or whatever. I think there is yes. an environment that really, you know, brings the leader in us, you know? And I always say this to our brilliant mothers, you know, aunts and everything. It feels like I saw more leadership back home than I could see here. It's not to bash Europeans, not at all. Yes. Because yes. of the circumstances, of course. Uh, yes. What do you say to a... Uh, like a South African for example if I take the example the crazy example of Uber and kind of challenging the other person's you know for me it's like natural I'm paying for my NBA. I'd rather challenge you because if not it's a waste mm. of time what would you tell the you know like the 15 year old girl coming from a background that it's you know uh, not privileged and just mm-hmm. be like you can challenge people you you can challenge respectfully always but you can challenge the idea, you can challenge what you see and you can, how do you bring this uh, in them?
1: So let me answer that question two parts. So first mm-hmm. part, when we speak about what is the long-term vision? In Goals for Goals, we have this vision of by 2025, we've given us ourselves a bold objective of having reached 1 million goals across the group what we want we want to graduate one million girls from girls for girls and you know what you know what we've realized alex is that when you the impact of girls for girls goes beyond just the mentees we've started seeing more and more of us as mentors also taking positions of leadership also growing through teaching these girls about you know, being a courageous leader, uh, you know, perfecting the art of communication. We ourselves are growing and Mm -hmm. raising more and more our our hands in the corporate setting or whichever setting we're in, right? And we believe that by doing only when you have more women at the top, right, right? And for us, it's not just a question of equality. It makes, it not only, let's, let me speak, for example, from a business perspective in the Mm -hmm. private. We know that companies that are run by women and men equally, where you have an equal ratio or more women at the top, you run those companies better. They perform better financially, right? So the vision is, unless we step up and, take those positions. In South Africa, the biggest issue lately, we, the second pandemic they have in this country, mm-hmm. gender-based violence. Women of this country get killed every day, Alex. It's, it's uh. disheartening. It, I, I cannot, I'm not even gonna go too much in details about gender-based violence, but what we then tell these girls that come from unprivileged background, Unless there's more of them, you understand, unless there's more of them in, let's say, for example, governmental institution, private sector, how are we going to fight that gender-based violence? We need to be, you know, working towards implementing stricter laws, laws that will protect women and children of this country, right, but also be more strict on how you deal with the Mm. people that commit those crimes right so so Mm. unless you have more and more women, for for us it it, it's a question of it's a survival thing you know (laughs) uh we have no other choice but to encourage them to Mm. and we tell them it starts it starts on a smaller scale start where you are start in your classroom Right. Uh, start with how you interact with boys at your school. When you see a boy doing something that is oppressive to another girl in your class, don't keep quiet, you know, call it out. Mm, mm. Because when you start nurturing that behavior of you being able to call out all of that, yeah. when you become when you go at the next level, whether the next level is from high school to university, university to the corporate world or to the public sector, whichever, whatever you want, or in entrepreneurship, they could want to become entrepreneurs, yeah. you know. And and but in that world, you as an entrepreneur, you'll still be going asking funding to male dominated. Yeah organization yeah right yeah so 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 we need no uh, we have bold bold goals and that's, let me tell you i know crazy. we're gonna get there come we, on we have, we have to get there
0: that is amazing because not only do i more because i have two podcasts i have sportive and i, I brought like last uh, episode i brought uh, a south african mental coach She's yes. a, 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 like working in Dubai and I was just telling her how much she's so much needed in sports for women yes. in back in Africa. And I didn't know that the gender basis like the,
1: yeah. the problem there, yeah. but
0: I understand that's, yeah, it's something, it's, it's an issue, but for me, it's like leadership. Yeah, if you don't want to understand it in terms of like um, how it makes sense, like logically, yes. at, at least in business-wide, we need to make sense of it. Like you want to make some mon- much more money? Go ahead, you know, take women. Oh, no, no, let me not go there because I get angry. If not, there
1: was even a, during the pandemic there was even a joke circulating, but uh, on on social media, a picture that was uh-huh. showing that the countries that had the best uh, COVID nineteen response, right, uh-huh. were countries where you had women leaders at the top. Oh yeah, so, yeah, like, so... and then you <laughs> yeah. see...
0: Germany Finland yeah yeah. right Germans
1: always the best you see so it 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 doesn't just make business guys all the all the the statistics are there to prove that we need more women at the top we do Uh, we do and I, I I've I've started to accept and live out fully what huh? I believe I couldn't articulate before joining Girls for Girls. Now I call myself a chief feminism officer and I stand by it. Even in the spaces, <laughs> even in the spaces outside of work, I do not get involved in activities or social gatherings that are not there to empower and support women. I have stopped. I don't don't want to involve my time in such things, you know, so if you are a man and then we hang out together, that's because I believe you can be an ally to our cause, you know, that you can be a brother, that you can be a brother that is going to speak up for us, stand up for us, you know, Uh, uh, and unless you're that person, I don't, I don't want you in my circle. You know, I don't want you in my circle.
0: I'm going to say, I'm not a devil advocate. But if I were to be like, maybe the guy on the other side doesn't see the oppression or, you know, the problems of the women, uh, like the same thing for you. You don't understand the intricacies of being a South African. But hanging out with you will help him notice. Not maybe care, but notice the the, the thing. You know what I mean? It's just like... um, I don't know like the white privilege i'm thinking about those who live in cape town and have really beautiful houses and mm. why will he care about what's going on so, in this? yeah
1: so to your point the goal is not to exclude them without trying to educate yeah, welcome. them okay right, All right. yeah you, you you want to welcome them and have discussions you know so Mm -hmm. (laughs) so these are discussions that I not only have with my husband with but we have with Mm -hmm. his friends you know so when we welcome people in our home we 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 have discussions around that Mm -hmm. and say you know have you noticed that when you do that it can be I can feel you know attack or this wasn't so you do it in a way that you're trying to teach them and bring them along the journey but the reality Alex is that there's some people that will never want to join that you know they want change you know for them they think oh no you guys want to start bossing us around that's not about (laughs) that we just We just want you to see us as an equal person, as an Mm -hmm. equal human being that that deserves the same human rights that you have. That's it, you know? It's not a a fight for leadership. So what I'm saying, I agree with you. To your point, some people might be doing it without noticing. The goal is is, is for us to then point it out. And going back to you, educate each other, Mm
0: -hmm. you know? yeah all right so last question or maybe last two questions yes what are the books you're reading or if any and how many role models do you have like uh, your mentors your role models or i don't know
1: yeah so books i'm finishing up the the last book that we selected in the book club it's uh it's it's the, the book is called the secret lives of baba segi wives right okay. it's a, it's written by uh, a nigerian woman and um it's a fic- it's a fiction so it's not a real life story but mm-hmm. it is definitely portraying the life of many women around the african continent so it's it, it speaks about a, poly- a polygamist marriage
0: Ooh, uh, okay. so
1: he he has uh, four wives and then they just speaks about the dynamics nice. that household so i love it and just from and i love it because it speaks about the stories of from the perspective of all the different wives
0: yeah right okay interesting
1: Um, so so really really interesting book and because i think uh in growing up in burundi we haven't really been exposed to polygamy a lot right which is something very common for example in south africa some of the tribes um, like uh, Zulus are polygamist, etc., cetera, et cetera. Okay. So that was something that they were used to, but I kept telling the woman in my book club, I love it because it gave me an, a perspective that I didn't know. And I had never heard about, but mm. um, so that's the book. And then, um, oh my God, role models, mentors. I have many, many, many. I'll start with my dad. My dad okay. is definitely a role model. I love his discipline, um, just how focused he is in life and how much he's a hard worker. People Mm. laugh every single time I say that for me, uh, when it comes to role models in terms of hard work, uh, just the work ethic, you know, I look after Beyonce and my dad.
0: B, I totally (laughs) forgot to ask you about that, but.
1: Yeah. We'll, live.
0: No. we'll
1: yes. live one at a time. So, yeah. So definitely <laughs> I admire people that aim to perfect their craft, mm. you know, and be expert at what they do, do it well, uh, and excel in it. And I see that in both of them. So definitely both mm. of them have played a huge, huge part in my life. But then I guess along the journey, there's other people that you start admiring. My my mentors, uh, one, the Ugandan woman yeah, that yeah. I mentioned. Yeah. Um, there's, there's another South African woman that I met um, in well, when I started working for the bank. Uh, okay. So I have, I find inspiration in many people. Obviously, I love Michelle Obama. I'm like a <laughs> I love her, um yeah, there's many people, many people, okay. All
0: right. but I would
1: say the top two is my dad and beyonce and beyonce without a, without a doubt,
0: I mean, at some point you have to have dinner with her or like stay at her place for like a week or right. something
1: right. <laughs> but it's. I'm we, you, you need to put it in the universe and hope for the best.
0: <laughs> My mom will kill me if she hears this. She's like, really, <laughs> you're praying for this.
1: Um,
0: <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's interesting. But the last thing, because you, you, you spoke about Zulu and either maybe the business person in me was like, mm, why not Africans? Because I know the Africans, it's the language of spoken with, you know, the ones who rule the area, basically. That was my understanding from here it's like either you speak English which is like but when you speak Africans it's like uh, you're in the one percent or maybe the ten percent of the population well, one of this or maybe you already speak Africans I don't know
1: no I don't I don't speak Afrikaans but uh, I the most spoken language in SA is definitely Zulu so uh okay. yeah Zulu Zulu is the the most spoken language and after zulu hopefully one day i can learn swahili as well what know, do you right? think i'm, re-
0: Being I'm working asp- on that
1: uh, i think if we all aspire to go back in east africa to burundi one day i think uh, uh, swahili is a must um, yeah. so yeah i think for me it's more i wanted to learn an african like i mean afrikaans is they, they has it, it has such a heavy colonialistic you know for apartheid. Sure. But that's because, why I
0: say the business person in me sees opportunities. I'm like, if I if I no, had to choose, I mean, we
1: already we already speak the language of the oppressor by us speaking French ooh, and English. Ooh. Are we going to ask Africans to believe? <laughs> no, thank you. What, what I like to
0: say is, I've never been oppressed because I was not there. I'm free in Jesus Christ, and that's it. Like I will learn any other language. I love uh, Hebrew and Farsi from Iran. I love wow. it. Like I really love the sound of it. Wow. I'm like one day, but I have no business in being like colonial in Iran. But <laughs> good for you. Good for, I, for you.
1: No, we I, I need to add another African, you know, language on top yeah. of Kirundi. So that that will that's be true. for me. Yeah.
0: Come on. All right. So what's your plan then for the next
1: five years? Wow, that's a very loaded question. That's what we uh, do Five here. years, you know what? Five years. I think I am hoping that I will, within the next five years, I will take a leap of faith and you know, have the courage to leave uh, the corporate world, right, okay. to pursue some of the passions that I have. So, work in women empowerment projects. You know, oh, like nice. you know, scaling up this mentorship program is could be one of the avenues that I pursue mm-hmm. at some point I want to start doing uh, work in the re- reconciliation um,
0: oh. I don't know
1: yeah work around reconciliation because I want to equip myself for skills that I believe are, are, are important for us as Burundians, as young Burundians. Because I think we we are clear on the fact that there is going to be that perpetual cycle of violence until we, you know, we deal with some heal, of the man. root causes heal. and we heal properly. So I, I'm, I'm just hoping I build the courage to pursue these two areas, women empowerment and reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason why I'm saying courage is because when you start working, uh, in the corporate world and you start being comfortable around yeah. you know your salary the security the what, what it becomes difficult to make those leap of faith yeah. you know so I'm hoping I, I'm uh, if I look back five years from now and I've done it I'll be very proud of myself wow. and mind you I don't know what it looks like I, I, I don't know what what exactly in the women empowerment you know mm-hmm. uh Area kind, or yeah. but I have an idea that those two areas are areas of interest for me
0: come on I mean we'll call you in five years we'll be, <laughs> I'll be chilling with Beyonce and Steffi on the table you like,
1: yeah you see when you, well, when you she's, she started doing work in Burundi so it's me. I like, saw you that know, with- we never know who knows, who
0: knows? <laughs> you'll be the one taking care of the water in, uh, in... <laughs> <not>. Who knows? <laughs> i really need her to do like a coachella over there that's it that's what i'm asking right no, we'll, br- we'll make rest. it
1: happen <laughs> there we'll you there
0: Thank you very much for having taken this time and share because it's your first interview. That was my understanding.
1: Yes, first
0: podcast
1: uh, interview.
0: I mean, it's amazing because what I was telling you is that the more I give names of people who want to come on and I think it really liberates uh, people, Also, mostly women because men tend to be okay. And so I'm happy. I'm happy that not only we got to connect again after I don't know how many years. So
1: many years, Yeah. Just to
0: see that you know people are thriving. We're maybe in different places of the world, but people are doing something, and it's really uh, it's really beautiful to see that uh, you know it's going well, although it's in yeah. South Africa. But, yes. Uh, <laughs> so thank you very much, and you know, have a blessed life. Have a thank blessed twenty twenty so first.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much and continue on this amazing initiative. I mean, Mm -hmm. we want to hear more and more and more stories of young Burundians across the globe. I mean, I'll continue to listen in. I think it's important for us to get a you know a view of what everyone is doing what yeah. people specialize in because that's where we get to help each other and help when we start rebuilding our country you know there's Absolutely. so much work for us to do back home and we can only know who to reach out to through this platform people there start understanding what people's interests are so yes. i commend you for for starting this initiative thanks
0: thanks thanks a lot Dad. and uh, yeah we'll see each other in South Africa.
1: Yes. <laughs> merci,
0: merci madame. <laughs>